Branding isn't about logos, taglines, colors, any of the wrapping paper stuff. For me, branding is about... What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Spreading Success Podcast. My name is Ram Rafiv, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Jeremy Miller. Jeremy, how are you doing today, man? I am. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, delighted to be here and getting to chat with you this afternoon. 100%. And I think you were one of the first people that I've had that really goes deep into branding. I've had a lot of people mm. have their own e-commerce business, things like that. But branding is definitely an aspect that not a lot of people take into account when they first get started. And personally, I think when you come up with a, a brand or a business of any kind, especially for me, thinking of the name or, or how you're going to portray something is the hardest part, at least in my opinion. And that's why I'm sure. glad that we're going to provide a lot of value for the listeners here now. But for the listeners that are not familiar with you, can you just give them a quick summary of who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Jeremy Miller, as you mentioned, and I run a company called Sticky Branding. And it's a brand building agency based here in Toronto, Canada, where I am today. Uh, but we have clients all over the world. And w what we do is help people and companies grow sticky brands. And what I mean by that is, how do you get your clients to know you, like you, and trust you so that they choose you first? And I think any business of any size can build those connections and those relationships. And then as a business, I, uh, I speak at conferences and events, provide consulting services, help people name things. We have a whole suite of services that help get to that mission of creating a first choice advantage or a sticky brand. Yeah. And that's awesome because I'm actually in the process of, of considering rebranding my own show. So okay. I kind of want to talk about uh, some kind of strategies for that because the way that I do it and the way I know most people do it is they just go to like keywords like entrepreneurship, business and type in like synonyms or related words. And I, I'm pretty sure that's not the right way to go about it. So I'm glad we'll be able to talk about that. But I want to quickly transition into your early life, kind of mm -hmm. your, your teenage years and I want, I want to learn more about you at that time, obviously leading up to where you are now, but how was that time period looking like for you? Were you an entrepreneur? Did you like flip candy on the side or how were your grades? What were you passionate about? Just kind of walk us back. Uh, so now you're going to be testing my memory of, uh, <laughs> as you can see, I'm not the, the, uh, that young. Um, you know what? Uh, so when I was, uh, in, in high school, uh, it was very much uh, a laissez-faire, shoot for the bronze kind of thing. And uh, uh, let's say you get, get through school and, and have fun with your friends and joke around and be a brat. Uh, I probably did have some entrepreneurial roots in me. My, my family actually owned a family business. Mm. And uh, so I worked uh, as a sales guy and uh, did some entrepreneurial type of uh, side hustles throughout high school. But it wasn't ever something that I thought about when I grew up, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I don't think it was until, I don't know, uh, like grade 11 or 12, like at the end of my high school era, I, at some point, and I don't know why, I, I told my mom, when I grow up, I want to take over the family business. Wow. And, uh, I rem and I found out probably... 10 years later but what i found out at the time is they both kind of my parents just kind of panicked and went oh crap <laughs> uh and so what they did is they went to start talking with other family business owners and they got some advice the advice was you don't want to have a lucky sperm you don't want to just gift uh, a business to a kid that's terrible um and so they cre created some barriers uh, of entry or barriers to entry for my brother and i to come into the business and that yeah. was we had to have a, a university or a college education we had to work in the real world for at least four years and we had to have relevant work experience. And finally there had to be a job available for us. So that probably had been sitting in my mind for a very long time because four years to the day after graduating from university, I joined the family business as the director of sales and marketing. And that really was the, the turning point for my entire career and what I do today it was it was that moment. So I'm I actually think that there was probably those things that cued me to want to go to be an entrepreneur very early. I just didn't know it. Yeah, I mean that's crazy because a lot of people don't even 
get to have a, a family business like that that they are allowed to take over. And I think it's interesting how they set like certain guidelines. And I'm just curious, like where they got those specific numbers, you know, four years in the workplace and things like that. But that's definitely interesting. And I bet it definitely helped you rather than if they just handed it to you and you were lost or you didn't really have a sense of direction. So I think it was strict, but I definitely think that you're better off now that you had it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so something that, like I said, people struggle with is their surrounding environments okay. through, through when they first get started. And obviously you kind of took um, an intermediate step with the family business and then going to sticky branding. But when you were first getting started, how is your surrounding environments? Obviously your parents were supporting you because they're entrepreneurs themselves, but were there any times where I know that I definitely have this, where it's people like friends, community members, entrepreneurship is not always the, uh, the most favorite thing to, to be friends with. It takes a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hours, and most people just completely ridicule you for it. So did you have any kinds of those experiences when you were first starting out? Oh, I still have them to this day. It's, uh, <laughs> battle wounds. Uh, so I, I describe an entrepreneur's lifestyle as manic. You have massive highs and crashing lows. And, uh, and the thing that where I get antsy is actually when everything is going amazing, all those battle wounds over the years, that's actually what I'm itchiest. It's like, I should be on cloud nine. I'm like, no, it's going to get real. Uh, and, and I start to get nervous around it. And, and it's, it's almost counterproductive. And so what I learned very early on is you have to have really good people around you. Uh, because as you said, lots of people will give you negativity. And the way I always thought of it is, I always felt like I was pulling swords out of my back where people thought yeah. they were being helpful. They would say something, and like it's if you remember the um, the the book uh, the game by Neil Strauss. I don't know if you ever read that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the pickup artist. So it's the pickup uh, Bible or pickup artist. It's it's a funny funny book. But he had this term called negging, which was basically a negative compliment. Hmm. And I always found that uh, that someone thought they were being helpful, but I just there was one of the this very distinct moment where I was in a very hard place in the family business. Things were not going well. Uh, financially, we were getting our asses handed to us. I hated my job and I was just at a low point trying to start something new within the company. And uh, someone said to me, when are you going to go back to being a manager and stop chasing these hobbies? And those hobbies are things like this, writing a book, like yeah. what I do today, writing books and speaking at events. That's what they considered a hobby before I'd even got there. And if I actually listened to that, I would have never been on what I do today. And what it took was having uh, actually an older mentor, a gentleman by the name of uh, Jim, who was probably in his 60s. And he just said to me, this is what you want to do. Do it. And he said, what the, so having that sounding board, having those mature people. And I found for me, at least the, the best resources were actually senior entrepreneurs, people that have been there through the, the muck. Now I have friends that are entrepreneurs and they're a source of energy, but from an advice and uh, like a mental health perspective, it was actually the older uh, uh, entrepreneurs that like you could learn from them. They'd been there. There was a steadying hand to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that definitely makes sense because a lot of people, especially people my age, I'm only 18 and, I, and I'm already like getting started into this, but a lot of people who I'm friends with or I surround myself in college and I'm in my second year of college, they're all telling me to you know get a job or do that stuff because th- they think that's in my best interest because they don't really see the other side because that's not what society really preaches. So they might think that they're looking out for me and that I don't really see the full picture, but if I'm doing something that I like, the money doesn't really matter as much as, okay, I'll be making less money than them or potentially than a nine to five. But if I'm happy and clearly you're very happy doing what you're doing with your branding. And I, I'm really interested in, in diving a little bit deeper into that, but it's, it's definitely something that you can't really blame them for sometimes. Sometimes it is where they are flat out ridiculing you, but mm-hmm. especially when it comes to parents, that's like the number one thing because yeah. the parents always want what's best for you. But sometimes they don't really know right? The world is always changing. Everyone has different preferences. Entrepreneurship is on the rise. And so I think it's definitely important to take that into consideration. Um, And I want to kind of transition into the way that you got into from your family business to your 
too too sticky branding. Where was sure. that gap? How did that kind of connect? Sure. Well, uh, and let's just put a side note. I want to come back to this idea of what are the ingredients of success? Cause I think mm -hmm. that'll be an interesting layer for this. Uh, but so where did my origin story start? So I joined my family business January 1st, 2004, four years after I started doing the working in the software industry, did my time came in and my family business was a, a recruiting company an IT staffing firm. And in the early two thousands, we were going through a, a weak economy. So, we had Y2K happen, which is a big IT boom, and then the dot-com bubble burst, and then we had 9-11, and then the recession that followed that. And recruiting is a cyclical business. So we thought, okay, we've done our time. We're seeing signs the economy is coming back. It's going to go back into growth mode. And it didn't happen. And uh, we didn't know it at the time, but we were actually going through an industry disruption. Facebook was uh, just coming online. LinkedIn was two years old. Google was five years old. And uh, they were actually transforming our industry. And, uh, but at the time, all we saw was a sales problem. And so for that first year, I set, spent the whole year grinding, trying to figure out a better way to make the business sell. And it actually got so bad that me and my sales guys would actually have scheduled pit time where we did six hours of cold calling a wow. week. And I hate cold calling. Like it's a bane of my existence. <laughs> I'd rather like pull out my fingernails. Uh, and so uh, at the end of that first year, I, I said to my dad, I was, we had a Christmas party with all the staff and afterward, no one's leaving. We're having my, my, my parents and I are having drinks at the bar and I just unloaded on them. And I just said, if this is what it's like to be in a family business, I can't do it. This is garbage. And this is probably when I got the best advice of my, my entire career. My dad said to me, well, it's not about the business that we have built. It's, the business, it's about the business we're building. What are we going to build next? So it's not about the business you've built. It's about the business you're building. What are you going to build next? And this, for, it was just the right advice at the right time, gave me permission. And so we took a step back and we studied our customers. We studied our market. We actually started to see this disruption. And what I realized was we didn't have a sales problem. We had a branding problem. When people were going online, they couldn't differentiate us from anyone else. And the rules in our industry were changing very rapidly. And so uh, what we did is we rebranded the business. We changed the company name. We changed the positioning. We changed everything. But when we did that, I was a sales guy. I didn't know anything about branding. So if you look behind me, I got all these books. Uh, I started reading everything I could get my hands on. The problem was all those branding books were about big companies like Apple and Nike and Starbucks. And I was a small business. I had a marketing budget. I just didn't have a big one. And so how did those ideas apply to me? So we got into digital marketing very early on. So 2005, we were doing search engine optimization, email marketing, content marketing, a little bit of social. And my clients took notice of that. And so they saw what we were doing on the branding end, but they also saw what we were doing on digital end. And they started to ask me for advice. And we created this small little consulting business. Um, fast forward a little bit, 2007, 2008, we went through our succession conversations. And I decided at that point not to buy out my parents. I could see the writing on the wall. I could see how the industry was changing. And so I came back to my parents and said, you know what? I don't want to buy the business. And so what that did is we spun off the consulting practice to form Sticky Branding. And I packaged and sold my family's business. And, uh, and so that gave me the opportunity to do what I do every day now is work with companies to grow their brands, write books, speak at events. And it was a dream, but I had to do that, that process to get there, to, to discover this was something I actually wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So it all started through your actual family business and you kind of almost stumbled upon it by accident because you were obviously focused more on the family business itself and then your main business became what you were trying to implement. So you kind of almost um, figured it out by mistake and now this is obviously what you do full time. You've written book about it and things like that. Sure. So that's why I think that's just that's such a unique story because you see people coming into things randomly at some points and usually people that want to be entrepreneurs start off by working a job and then they they somehow get into a business they use it as a side hustle but you kind of took that as an already as you were already technically an entrepreneur and you were just trying to fix an aspect that was weak in your company and that turned out to be the, your strongest suit and now you sure. do it so that's really really awesome and so i didn't actually think of myself as an entrepreneur uh 
for quite a while. Uh, mm -hmm. I grew up in a, in a family of salespeople. Uh, like when uh, Thanksgiving, when people are watching football, like we would be talking about sales. Uh, like going to the cottage and when we were kids, we would listen to like sales tapes. So I knew what a, a presumptive close was before I went into high school. And so I always identified as a salesperson, even to the point when Sticky Brandy had launched. Um, so entrepreneurship was something that that wasn't the dream. It was something that became. And one of the, the things I often say to young entrepreneurs is, I think it's really important to chase your passion and your purpose and, and do what you want. But I also think it there is value to, if you're not going to get a full-time job working for someone else, find either mentors or experiences to learn because there's no point reinventing the wheel. Like companies exist and most operating companies are pretty standard. They're pretty much all the same. So getting a chance to learn from what inside a business really is probably one of the most powerful ways for an entrepreneur to grow. Yeah. And in terms of that, that has a lot to do with your self-education that got you to sticky branding in the first place. Like you said, for those of you on video, he has a large bookshelf behind him and you just started off by reading. So for anyone who wants to get started in entrepreneurship or they have their own business, where is the best place that you'd recommend for them to get a self-education? Is that through books, a, men, uh, a personal mentor, uh, videos, courses? What's like the number one thing? Obviously for people, for every industry, it's different, but for something like branding, where do you think the best place to go is? I don't, so it's a complex question. So we've got a bunch of sources. Let's kind of go through them. But I think the most pressing thing of it is being an entrepreneur is not something you learn academically. Uh, it, you got to do it. And you've got to do it for a long time. There's a quote from Elon Musk and someone asked him, what's it like being an entrepreneur? He's like, it's like staring out into the abyss while chewing glass. <laughs> and so like, it's, it, it's a manic lifestyle. Like, and so how are you going to survive the massive lows and not ha go through periods where you don't have a paycheck and, uh, and have those waves and those, the, the, the complexity that it creates in that life? We have to have purpose and you have to have a reason why you're going to do this. And no one's going to give that to you. Uh, you're going to have to find that and you're going to actually have to work it and, and nurture that. And I think, so if you set out to start and grow a business, then start and grow a business. And then what does it take? What do you need to learn is going to be a little bit more bespoke to you. You're going to have to decide where you need to bolster your education. So, uh, you might need technical competencies in your industry. You might need to develop marketing skill sets. You might need to learn more about accounting. Um, so you're going to have to make those kind of decisions uh, of where they go. Now, I, I love books. I love to read. Uh, so that is a primary source for me. Uh, the other one that I get my knowledge is through connecting with other entrepreneurs. Like I'm in a, a book club, for example, with a bunch of rich old guys and me. <laughs> and uh, and like they are the best people to learn from. And if I have a problem, I can call them. So I think go to where you get the best ideas that you feel energy. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's podcasts, maybe that's reading, maybe that's a course. Um, but at the same time, don't buy into the hype. If someone's going to sell you on the gifts of entrepreneurship, that's going <laughs> to wear off really quickly. Yeah. If someone's selling you hustle porn and how you got to grind that rise and grind stuff, that pisses me off. Cause that's not going to be, I've been doing this now 15, 16 years that wore off. 15, 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think education is personal and it's also technical. What do you need to learn to be successful, to fulfill and achieve your goals? Yeah. And I think for every, every industry or every business model, it, it still depends on the person, right? Because someone might learn accounting through a mentor. Someone might learn it better through, for example, a, a lot of books or however people learn accounting. But I think it's still subjective. And I think the fact that most people are kind of have the, the false um, negative connotation towards reading is a very, very big issue. And this is something that I'm dealing with, obviously, as a college student, the books that I'm reading, I have one right here, Northern Anthology, poetry stuff like this. <laughs> it this, makes you want to kill yourself. And yeah, I mean, and, and ever since a young age, we've ha we've been having to read these books and it's yeah, yeah. it's like history and all this stuff. And then for the past 18 years, I've thought to myself, book, I just I can't even look at a book anymore unless I physically <laughs> have to. 
And now I'm like, wait, there are books about entrepreneurship and business. Wow. And I know so many people struggle with this. And when I tell my friends I'm reading a book, they're like, you're reading a book. I'm like, there's a book on how to make money. There's books on how to make like, it's just, <laughs> we have such a negative connotation to it. And that's why I think reading is definitely something that's underrated and that needs to be talked about more, not only the entrepreneurship space, but literally anything you're passionate about. And I'm glad that in, in terms of finding the passion, I'm glad that I was able to find this passion. Obviously, I don't know how, if it's like the ultimate thing or whatever, but this is definitely something that I enjoy doing. I also have a podcast editing agency just because mm -hmm. I wanted to monetize my passion just because I love this stuff so much. The opportunities are endless. Talking to so many different people, getting so much insight is honestly, I think it's the best thing in the world in my opinion. But You feel that passion though, Rum. Like you see how you're getting animated by this. Yeah, yeah. And you're reading and, and that energy sparks you. Yeah. And so that to me is you filtering yourself. That's smart entrepreneurship. Yeah. And if you don't want to read, like so I studied English in university. I can't pick up a fiction book now. Like the only fiction I've read since uh, university has been uh, like the Harry Potter series. Otherwise, yeah. it's just like I was reading a book a day at that point. It's horrible. Uh, but Audible, like I yeah. crush an Audible book every week or two, and and they're amazing. Uh, I, I don't, I won't plug this, but it's uh, so my new book, brand new name. It came out last week. Yeah. I've got ADD because of my phone and my iPad. I just can't sit still. So the book itself is a graphically designed branding book. So oh, that's almost awesome. every page has got a picture on it, so it's pulling you forward. And so I also think in the business world, there are really innovative thought leaders that are sharing ideas that are accessible. So. You don't have to go and read uh, in the branding world. David Ocker is the is the king. He is the the Stanford guru. But reading his books are all textbooks, and uh, and you probably will start to bleed out of your eyes after a while because they're so freaking boring. But he's genius. Everything he writes, I read. Um, but that doesn't mean it's the first place you need to start. I'm in the brand nerd world. Uh, maybe you can get like out of my first book, Sticky Branding, it is based for small and mid-sized companies. And it tells you the stories of how did small privately held businesses grow their brands and what are some of the strategies to do that. And so there's lots of content out there. Go and get what you want. Yeah. And do you think, uh, obviously most people do turn to things like audiobooks and podcasts, but do you think, which one do you think has a more retention rate, for example, or do you think uh, an audio book does the book justice in terms of memorizing and, and really understanding what you're, what you're doing. Cause you know, visually looking at the words or just hearing it in something like a podcast or audio book. I don't know. I think uh, that there's probably the academic science that says when you read, you process better, but if you don't have time, then, yeah. uh, then you got to do what you do. So, uh, part of my routine is, uh, I, I start my day with, like a, a two or three mile walk. And it's just, it's kind of just uh, a meditative That's thing awesome. where I just do that. And I plug my headphones in, I put on audible and I'll just listen to a book for 45 minutes as I'm just wandering my neighborhood. And it's an interesting way just to be distracted or when I'm cooking dinner and, and just instead of listening to the radio or, or television or something, I'll put on an, an audible book. And, and so I use uh, audiobooks to fill in the space where I'm doing something, but I can still process. And what I find is when I find a great Audible book, I will then go and buy it. Uh, and then I'll read it and I'll, I'll process it again. So, for example, one of the best books I read last year is called The Four Disciplines of Execution. It's by Franklin Covey, and it's all around how do you actually execute and achieve your goals. And uh, so I think every entrepreneur should read it. Uh, so I listened to it first, loved it, bought the the hardcover book, and I've read it two or three times since. And I've probably gifted forty copies to clients and friends. Like it's just it's that one of those things. That like I love it to just pass it on. I think that's the other thing we can do as entrepreneurs. If we are content consumers, we should also be content curators and sharers. We should help other people, whether it's our clients or other entrepreneurs continue to evolve because they're probably not doing that. They, they do their job. They get a paycheck. They go home. They let the TV waves wash over them. They rinse, rot, wash, and repeat. Yeah. We're creating and it's a different mindset. Yeah, for sure. And I want to talk about the whole branding aspect because of course that is your number one thing. That is what you do. 
Mm-hmm. And how would you define a sticky brand versus a non-sticky brand? Because of course, that's your whole, that's your branding behind branding. <laughs> so I view a sticky brand. Uh, so for me, branding isn't about logos, taglines, colors, any of the wrapping paper stuff. For me, branding is about creating a bond with your clients or your customers. How do you get somebody to choose you first? So uh, what does it take to get somebody to know who you are, like you, trust you, and either think of you first, refer you first, or buy from you first. And that relationship, I think, is really what a sticky brand is all about. When you go to the grocery store, you probably don't think of your purchases. You go to the things that you know, you pick them up, and you leave. Uh, But the same thing happens when you're buying professional services, going to get your hair cut, uh, any of those types of things. You don't think that all that much about the features. You don't think all that much about the benefits, the price. You may or may not care about the logo. All of that stuff influences it, but the outcome is how do you create a first choice advantage? And and so I've been keenly interested in this topic, going back to that origin story of where I started in my family business, because when you do a year of pit time making cold calls six hours a week, you start to find ways to solve that problem. Hmm. And that is really where Sticky Branding, the, the first book came from, was how do I make sure that I never have to pick up the phone and be desperate again? How do I be able to always have the phone ringing so I can choose clients and say no to ones that may not be great because I don't, I'm not desperate? And so that is where that the 12 and a half principles of the first book came from was you need simple clarity, for example, which is the ability to describe who you are, what you do and who you serve simply succinctly and in the language of your customers. It was like making your brand Googleable. How do I categorize you and find you or, um, or be everywhere? How do you create the illusion that your brand is everywhere in your target market? Because the more you are seen, the more you will have preference. You'll have more likability because people have been exposed to it more. So if you are able to build a relationship three years before someone has a need for your services, chances are they won't call anybody else. <laughs> and so these are the kind, so yeah. my approach to branding didn't come from an academic concept. It came from an entrepreneurial concept. How do I feed my business and be successful so I don't have to go back and start smiling and dialing again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's really important how you talked about the relationship that you create because that's definitely something that i implemented with my editing agency before we even started the official agency we created a facebook group for Mm -hmm. podcasters we have almost a thousand podcasters in there right now probably Mm -hmm. by the time this uh airs we will have a thousand but that's like the first thing and our logo is is right on on the cover there's like no discrepancy so now whenever they need an editing service because most people are just starting out they Mm -hmm. will need it and they have that subconscious thought of, of they've seen that logo before they can know, like, and trust it. And they've seen us, they know, like, and trust us. So having that, that pre-existing relationship is definitely something that I think is crucial right when you're getting started, even before you, you launch the official business, just putting yourself out there in the community to create that sticky brand. I think if there's people kind of take two steps, they kind of skip steps before they, yeah. they start. Well, what you're doing today, if we were to just take this a step further, what you are doing today right now is what I would say all of your listeners should be emulating. So first things first is you have a a brilliant podcast focusing on unpacking what is success and you create immense value. You don't charge for it. You put that out in the world. And in so doing that, people are listening and gaining value from that, but we're also getting to know you. Yeah. But then you hit me with simple clarity. I have a podcast editing business. <laughs> Got it. I can now categorize you. And at the back of my mind, I went, okay, I'm interested in a podcast too. I should be talking to Rom after this show. Yeah. And then the other part of it is you're creating other connections beyond the content in the Facebook group. So you are yeah. essentially doing everything that I prescribe is the formation of a sticky brand, which is how do you create value, use your thought leadership to build those connections because as these people yeah. listen to it, you might be talking to someone today who's going to need your services two years exactly. from now. Yeah. And that's gold. Like these relationships don't disappear. You have immense brand equity in that. Yeah. And I think something is, is important that when I first got started into the podcast editing agency, I was just walking one day, I was thinking, and I drew a triangle. And, and mm-hmm. on the top of it was the editing agency. It's called Podblade. On the left side was my personal brand. And on the right side was my podcast. 
And I, re- I, I was like thinking, I was staring at this for a second and I realized that no matter which one I work on, it helps all three of them. For example, if I help the editing agency, it, it helps my personal brand and it helps my podcast. If I help my podcast, it helps the editing agency and my personal brand. And it's just like all circles. So no matter what I'm working on, like I, I think that way everything is in harmony and especially with the branding. And one of the, one of our key selling points for the editing service is that it's made by podcasters for podcasters. A lot of these sure. audio editors, they don't, they don't really know what, people need and what they don't in terms of podcasts. Yes, they know how to edit their audio, but they don't really know the key components. And I think that's why we stand out in terms from, of a branding perspective as well. That's interesting. I, I also love that you separated your business brand and your personal brand. Mm-hmm. One of the big mistakes that I often see is entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs, uh, overlap their personal brand and their business brand, and they interlink their personal brand with the success or failure of their business brand. And the problem is that uh, as a business, the, for it to be successful, if you take the, the Podblade uh, mm-hmm. uh, business, it might be successful right now, it rises up, but say the technology changes, say something happens in your industry and it loses success, or maybe you have uh, a crisis or something goes on and the business model no longer works. Yeah. Well, if Podblade and ROM were, were overlapping and your personal identity was yeah. completely <laughs> linked in that, that would be a mental uh, mind mess. Yeah. And the worst part of it would be you might hold on to a failing business for too long yeah. because you will be a failure. I knew uh, one entrepreneur, he put himself about $2 million into debt uh, because he just kept holding on and holding uh. on and holding on. He knew for a year and a half, probably two years, the business wasn't going to make it but he couldn't separate his personal identity from it. So I think a personal brand and a business brand are two separate things and personal branding is not the same as, as business branding. A business brand is an asset. You can change the name, you can change the colors, you can do this. Your personal brand is you. Yeah. So honor you. Yeah, and that's actually interesting that you say that because for my personal brand, I kind of was thinking about some catchy names and I thought of the podpreneur, the podcasting <laughs> entrepreneur. Yeah. It, so it's just like a thought and I think the, the reason why that whole triangle works so well is because the podcast is kind of the bridge between the personal brand and the business brand. So it like combines the two in a way and everything flows. And I think a lot of people don't really have that. And I'm really lucky to have found something that, that I really love and that works all, th- all throughout the whole circle and the triangle and everything like that. And I think it's something that needs to be talked about more in, in terms sure. of making everything more cohesive and, I know a lot of people have podcasts, for example, but the business has nothing to do with it. So are you known as the podcasting guy or the, the, or the e-commerce guy? You, know, you want to have your own identity as well as the business. And if it flows, that just adds that, that clearness that I think makes the difference between a sticky brand and a, and a non-sticky brand, essentially. For sure. I, I, I think clarity is, is key to it. Uh, I just think the other side of it is, um, like as you said, you're 18, right? Uh, so at 18, your career is going to be very squiggly. You've got loops and changes <laughs> in there. You have no idea. So as a podpreneur, that might be where you are at today. The three years, like look at my journey. I started out in a, as a software salesperson to owning a recruiting business, to becoming a Salesforce design HR consultant, to then creating uh, sticky branding and now being a branding consultant and a speaker and out there. And I keep doing these pivots and changes. Um, and, and so you're going to go through that too. So the, the other side of this, so the business brand, your positioning tends to be a little bit more static, but you can have multiple interests. Like you could be a podpreneur. You could also be, uh, you could also be like the biggest, uh, Harry Potter fan <laughs> and running the biggest fandom site ever. You might not be, but yeah. just saying like you could have multiple interests. And as an individual, I think that's wonderful. I don't think your personal brand should be so contained that you are a caricature yeah and i think that's very important to staying true to who you are because for example i really like podcasting but i also i'm a a huge fan of soccer for example and a lot of people wouldn't pursue something with soccer like even like a a website or, or a store or something like that because they don't see the money in it so then they turn to where the money is and they don't really focus on being true to themselves and finding what they're actually interested in and then obviously that's why they're, they're continuously switching. That is what I did. Um, I'm going to be honest. I, I went to drop shipping, Amazon affiliate, everything, just because I'm like, it's so easy. You can make money. I can escape the nine to five. I win. Like 
game over. But it's if you don't have the passion, if it doesn't interest you, and not just if it's if it looks cool, you deep down you should probably have had an interest before you got into it. And it's just a, a something doesn't have to be exact, but something that that you see uh, that you've seen before, and you're like, wow, this is a concept that I can, I'm definitely interested in, can pursue for for monetary or just for fun. Like this is obviously starting out just for fun right now. I monetized it. I've been doing this for seven months now. So just shows Amazing. that there, there's always a way, even if the monetization doesn't seem as clear as it is. So let, let me tell you a, a quick story on, uh, on success. So I uh, gave a, a keynote presentation uh, uh, a week or two ago in Halifax to a wealth management conference. And, and afterwards, this gentleman came up to me and he said, I loved your talk. Thank you so much. And, and then he introduced himself. He said, my name is Michael Lee Chin. I'm the owner. He's one of the, uh, the richest people. He, he's the only investor on the Forbes 100 list. So he's the next level rich. And he's telling me these stories. He's like, he goes into the story of how he made his first four and a half billion at 34 <laughs> years old. And you're like, mind melty. Uh, he's in his 60s now. He, 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 uh, but an incredibly successful man. Um, but he said, there are three ingredients to success. You have to be purpose-driven, you have to have creative solutions, and you have to have resilience. And he went on to say, most people think of success as a linear thing. You, uh, you put in uh, time and effort, and you will be successful. And it's just, it's a straight line. It's just, it, so you expect to say, you've been doing this for seven months and say 24 months, you will expect that based on this linear path, I should be this successful making this much money. He said, the reality is it's not the way it looks. It actually looks like a curve. And that, so you put in all this time and you've only made a micro amount of results yeah. and you compare yourself to everyone who's got a salary and everyone else, all these other indicators. And you go, I'm working so hard but I'm not successful. And so you put in more time and, and until you start getting up the curve, you got to get to that inflection point where suddenly your efforts have a disproportionate return. But he went on to me and said, you know, most people never make it to that inflection point. Most people never get to astronomical or exponential returns on effort because they compare themselves to where they think they should be they put in the time and then they give up and start over. And every time you start something new, you're starting back at zero. And so they never find that success point. And so he said, the, the key to it is purpose-driven. What's that thing that's going to drive you forward to keep you going and, and give you energy when everyone's stabbing you in the back? Two, you've got to have creative solutions. Hard work is not alone. You've got to do something that's innovative. So when you're creating a podcast, uh, podcast editing, uh, podcasters for podcasters, it's a creative solution. And then you're innovating. But you've got to keep innovating. You can't stop on that. Oh, yeah. And then third, it's the resilience. It's that hard work. It's that staring into the abyss, chewing glass metaphor. <laughs> um, the, many of the entrepreneurs that I talk to, you will see them say, I am a 20-year overnight success. And that seems to be about right. When you see a company that goes that, that hockey stick kind of thing, they grind, grinded for five, 10, 20 years. That idea that you're going to be the next Steve Jobs in uh, 18 months. Steve Jobs wasn't Steve Jobs in 18 <laughs> months. Uh, and so I, I really bought into what Michael Leachin said. It just, it meant the world to me hearing it from him and also talking to someone of that caliber was just, it was mind melting. Yeah. And I think a reason why, I don't know, everyone has a different percentage, 99% of entrepreneurs fail, 80%, all these different numbers. But the reason why it's so high is because like you said, people expect that instant gratification, right? They work five hours to get paid, but that's what a nine to five brings you. That's not what entrepreneurship brings you. The salary. Yeah. I've been doing this for seven months. And I haven't made a penny from from the from the actual podcast, but I don't I don't really care because this is something that I love, so it doesn't even feel like work, and that's what's so important about finding that. But the other thing is, uh, I remember watching a Sam Ovens video. I'm not sure if you know who he is, and he did this mm -hmm. thing where it, it's like the the way that entrepreneurship works and, and life in general is that there's like a delayed gratification, and if you put in the the most time now, you'll only see that result two to three years later. So the work you do today. And, and the results that you got today did not come from today's work. It came from work two years ago that you implemented and you, it, it comes with patience. 
And that's the thing with, with instant gratification, delayed gratification. People want it now because that's what we're so used to with things like checking a text on the phone, watching a video. We're getting that instant dopamine now. And we're so used to everything in the present tense. And that's what happens, which is why most entrepreneurs quit very early on. So I think you're nailing something that is a challenge for uh, you can see it's a generational divide. So some of the most successful entrepreneurs in history were baby boomers. They didn't have smartphones. They didn't have any of that kind of stuff. Uh, I think uh, the benefit to Gen Z and Gen Y or millennials right now, I think you're Gen Z, uh, it would be you have an open playing field. You have every opportunity to be wildly successful. You've already mentioned you're working at, in drop shipments, Amazon, reseller, podcasting, blogging, advertising. You have any opportunity to make money. But the difference today is if you desire instant gratification, get a job. <laughs> because this is not going to do that. Because to create something, you've got to put in effort and time and experiences. And not only do you have to do that to grow your business, you have to do it to yourself. Because uh, one of the things that one of my mentors used to say to me is for the the quote was for the ability for a business to grow is dependent on the ability of an entrepreneur to change. You have the current habits of wherever your business is today. But if you want to be a $10 million business, then you're going to have to somehow develop the habits, the expertise, the knowledge of a leader that can run a $10 million business. Nobody's born that way. So it's going to take grinding that instant gratification, that, that, that dopamine monster shut that thing down as fast as you can. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to, to the whole instant gratification and people wanting everything, I think an important part of branding itself is that subconscious thought. And one of the reasons why I wanted to rebrand my podcast is because I thought spreading success when I first got started, I was like, wow, alliteration SS got a positive message. Like I did it. I, I found the secret. And then I realized that I would go through like the top podcasts. It's like business school, uh, startup uh, business. It's, there were such basic names. And I was like, wow. And, and I was looking at the top podcasts. They got something like Logan Paul has a show called Impulsive, Call Her Daddy, The Passionate Few. These are names that if you woke me up in the middle of the night and shook me and said, what's the name of the show? I, was, I wouldn't even have to think about it. It's one plus one. But for me, mm -hmm. if it's something so general that doesn't stand out, it, it would take me time. And, and the subconscious thought is, oh, I haven't listened to this person in a while. Let me go check it out. And so that's why I'm in the process of rebranding. So in, in terms of that, what differences do you see when you're branding something like a podcast or a YouTube channel or a blog versus a company? What are the differences when, when you're starting to uh, consider the changes? I don't think they're different. So I think naming the process. So uh, my new book, Brand New Name, provides the process on how to name anything from a company, a podcast, a YouTube channel, uh, even a campaign or an idea. And the first thing that we do, and, you'll, and you have this in the book, is the first thing is you create a strategy. What does it take for this thing? whether it's your podcast or your company, to stand out in that marketplace. So you need to look at the competitive landscape. What are the naming conventions? What, is the, what do other uh, people use? And then strategically, what is it going to take for this business or this, this uh, brand to stand out? And you define your criteria for success, and you define how you'll know you've got the right name. So when you go to testing, you can reference back, this is our criteria for a successful brand name, so yeah. a successful podcast name. The second part to this then goes into a, a naming sprint. And my belief is in order to find a brilliant name, you've got to generate a whole lot of names. <laughs> so what I provide you is a five-day naming sprint so you can generate it, tons of ideas over the course of five days. We don't take tons and tons of time, but I think over five days, you can generate well over 100 potential names for your podcast. And then in the third stage, there's process for testing and selecting so that you get down to the right one. So I believe the key to great naming is great process. If we've got a process, then it may not be 100% perfect for you, but it, at least it gives you the framework on how to move forward. And it's strategy, ideate, test, and select. And if you can go through that, then uh, I guarantee you will create that. And uh, But I don't think the, differ the, the difference between a company and a podcast isn't the, is the, the process going to be the same. It's just the strategies are different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't really understand 
that they think branding oh like we have to make this name with this logo but it's mostly about like you said the way that you get to the to the end result is is really what makes a difference and so in in terms of what you actually do a lot of people aren't what you what you consider you know normal with the with the brand consultants that's not like oh i'm a brand consultant you know it's not a typical yeah. thing there's not many people doing what you're doing and i'm genuinely curious and i know most of the listeners will be what does a day in the life look like? What do you do? I know you, you do scheduling and consulting calls, but, but what really goes into a day in the life of Jeremy Miller? I spend a lot of time in airports. <laughs> um, so I travel a lot. Uh, so in my business, I have uh, three primary revenue streams. So I consult with clients and I'll come back to that. I, uh, I speak at conferences and events, so I deliver uh, typically keynote presentations. And then uh, I work with organizations on naming. And so what consulting is, it looks very much like management or advisory work where I am facilitating the development of their business strategy and then helping them implement it. And so a typical engagement would be, say, a year or three years. And I would meet with those clients uh, at their site with their management team five or more times a year, plus doing coaching calls and other things. So it, my day tends to be really eclectic and moving around and it's driven by uh, where different clients are in the cycle. So the consulting work is very much focusing on the needs of, of an individual or a company. Speaking is about uh, getting in front of people and delivering an impactful message. And then naming, what we do is we take the book, we have facilitated naming sprints. We largely do that virtually. Um, so how does that look in a day? My calendar looks like a hot mess, basically. <laughs> I just got to go where I got to go. And it's kind of fun. The, the only thing I have to make sure I block and tackle is... I take time to exercise and give myself space because if I don't, I will workaholic myself into the ground. Uh, and the other is I have to have deliberate deadlines for writing. So writing my books yeah. and creating content, uh, I find scheduling doesn't work for me, but the panic monster of a deadline does. <laughs> so uh, Monday night, uh, I, I do my, my blog goes out at 5 a.m. Eastern uh, every Tuesday. 9.30 on Monday, I got home from a restaurant. I didn't have it written. I'm like, oh, and I'm working <laughs> till one in the morning. So it's done and, and then get up and go. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a little frenetic. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked about the, the whole purpose. And I know you, you're talking about that story that, that, uh, the really successful person told you, yeah. but I, I want to kind of, talk to people about how to find that purpose. I know you said purpose driven is one of the first components and I'm really glad that I found what I think is my, is my passion for now, but what would you recommend as the best way for someone to find their purpose and to begin executing on it? I think it's two parts. I don't think we're born with a crystal ball and I don't think we're born nat like some people naturally know their purpose. Um, others, it takes time. Like for me, it, it, it's taken an evolution to get there and it's changed over time. So I think there's two questions I, I like to ask is where do you think you can have the most impact? Uh, where do you see the need and the like, impact can be in multiple ways. It's where do you see a need in the market that you think you can serve or where do you want to affect change? But where do you believe you can have the most impact? And then where do you believe you have, you can have the most impact for the longest period of time? Can you continue to drive for this? Do you have enough? Can does this have enough meaning and weight to you that you could do this for five years? Um, and so I think I like to look at things from a more of a practical perspective than an aspirational perspective. And that, and what drives, I think that question for me is, is, uh, if you want to serve somebody, then answer the question, how, and if you can answer how, then you can justify it with the why. And if you can really validate the why of what you're doing and being able to say, okay, I want to have this impact. This is, how I'm going to do it. And this is why I want to do it. I'm pretty sure you're going to get to a solid purpose at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that definitely makes sense. Most people expect to have it all figured out. I mean, I'm very, very lucky that I found something that I even remotely enjoy at such a young age. But I think the number one thing is to also try new things, right? I have a long time, hopefully, before anything gets 
too crazy. Right. And, and I don't have that much risk right now because I'm, I'm still a college student. I don't really have that many expenses and bills and stuff like that. So now's the time to try everything as much as you can and whatever sticks, you know, whatever you like, that's what you should ultimately pursue. And you won't, you don't know what you don't like until you try it. So that's kind of where, where, where I think going into finding your purpose really lies. Yeah. And I think that's the other side of it is your purpose will change because you don't know what you don't know. And it's a strategy changes. So business strategy at its core, what we do when we go through a sticky brain strategy client engagement, we build it a 10 year vision. Where do we want to be in 10 years? If all our, our goals and all of our strategies aligned, what would we, where would we be? That's the destination. We then build a three to five year growth strategy and a one year action plan. The thing is, as you act, you learn you grow, you gain better insights, you learn, you see different market opportunities and you start to pivot and get there. Another great book is The Lean Startup by uh, Eric Ries. And he talks about the idea of pivot or persevere. Well, purpose is the same, especially in the early years, is that you are using your learning experiences to gain better insights, not only into yourself, but your capabilities and where you want to grow. And if you find you're into something and it's not working, evolve. Again, that's true entrepreneurship is that you're going to, it's not pivoting just because you're not successful uh, or that it's too hard. It's I'm learning something. So what can I add to this? What nuance does it need to give me better weight and better, uh, better direction? Yeah, exactly, man. And Jeremy, I know I learned a lot from this episode and I'm sure the listeners did as well because branding really does apply to everything you do and even personal branding as well logos and things like that and how you portray yourself to the world is definitely very important and i'm glad that i was able to get this episode in so where can people find out more about you i know you just came out with an upcoming book and just plug your social medias and anything else you'd like for them to know sure so best way to find me is just google sticky branding uh okay. you'll find me on all the channels at sticky branding's so the website sticky branding all the social media channels is sticky branding. Uh, my first book was called sticky branding. That's available on Amazon. And the new book that just came out is called brand new name. And that's wherever books are sold. But obviously Amazon is the best place. And uh, if you have any questions, you want to connect, connect with me anywhere on the social networks. I'd love to chat anytime. All right. Thank you guys. And we'll see you on the next episode.